The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, Elder Buddy Abernathy takes us back to the second chapter of the book of Revelation. Here we see the letter to the church at Pergamos. We find that Pergamos had some issues, not the least of which was the fact that it was dwelling in a very pagan city. Jesus gives some very clear instruction to this church about how to continue its Christian witness in the midst of the problems that were going on around it. In the first part of this message, which we hear today, Brother Buddy describes for us the situation at Pergamos and describes the martyrdom faced by one of its members named Antipas. Join us as we begin to look at this church in the midst of a pagan environment. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
to you today from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, and beginning with verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them, that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Now this is the third of the seven churches that Jesus addressed through the Apostle John. Now, unlike the first two churches, there was a portion of the membership here that was involved in some very sinful activities. Now, we know that no church is perfect, but the church at Ephesus was having a problem that most of us feel like we've had once in a while, and that is they had left their first love. They had left that uh, initial zeal and fervor that they had for the things of God's kingdom. And then the second church, the church at uh, Smyrna, there's really nothing wrong in what the Lord said to them. He didn't address any problems there. Now, unlike the church at Ephesus, the church of Pergamos is a church in which we have very little information. As a matter of fact, I think this is all the Bible says about the church. You know, you can read perhaps about the Apostle Paul's travels and in consideration of where the Bible says he traveled near by this church, you might infer that he constituted the church, but all of that's really speculation to one degree or another. This is basically what we know about the church at Pergamos. Whereas the Bible says quite a bit about the church at Ephesus in the book of Acts, as you remember, there is a history given of the church 
And since the book of Acts is divinely inspired, we know that's an accurate history. And then Paul wrote an entire epistle containing six chapters to the church at Ephesus. So there's a lot we can look at other places in the Bible to help us in understanding what the Lord is saying to the church at Ephesus. But such is not the case with the church at Pergamos. And there's some things here that are difficult to interpret. And some of these things that the Lord refers to are interpreted several different ways. If you'll read different writings about what uh, men think about them. But I hope the way that I interpret it will not contradict fundamental doctrine. While we in the church should be un intolerant of unsound doctrine, we should be very tolerant of language like this if we interpret it differently than someone else, yet it be not contrary to sound doctrine. Now, since this is really all we have in the Bible about the church at Pergamos, I want us to consider some history. And I know that there's no way we can be certain that this history is accurate, but I believe the culture at this city was similar to that of other cities in that area. But first of all, I want you to keep this in your mind throughout this message. And that is the culture at Pergamos as well as its effect on the church there is not unlike our culture today and its effect on the church. The difference being they are further down the road than we are. The corruption is perhaps gone much farther. But as we look at this, I want you to keep that in mind. When he talks about the problem in the church, he'll refer to the congregation as you and them. In other words, this didn't affect the whole church. And isn't that the case today? That we can look at churches and see that you have a portion of the membership which is very committed and sincerely striving to lead godly lives, and there may be others who are members of the church who are living in a way that's totally unbecoming for a professed believer. Well, see, that's what was going on here. But again, I believe they were perhaps much further down the road than we are, both in terms of the culture and its influence on some of the members of the church. Now, first of all, Pergamos was the capital of that region. It was a very significant city. It was a large city. It was uh, elevated, as many of the cities were then, built upon a, a rock or a mountain, and that gave them uh, protection from enemies. There was a library at Pergamos which contained 200,000 volumes. 
And that's significant because back then, books were all written by hand. There's some indication that the word Pergamos may be the word from which we get the word parchment, which was the material that was used at that time to write upon. You know, even the scriptures were written on parchment. It was probably the second biggest library in the known world, the largest one being at Alexandria, Egypt. Now, it can be a good thing to have a huge library, but if it's void of the things of the one true and living God, it can be just knowledge, and knowledge without wisdom is not necessarily a good thing. There were very educated people. As we go through this, ask yourself if this sounds like a college campus, a liberal college campus, a huge library, very educated, a center for learning. There were at least four pagan temples. Those are temples that are erected to worship the false gods, the gods of Greek mythology. The largest one was to Zeus the god of the skies. There was another uh, temple there to the god of the harvest. There was another temple there uh, to the god of healing. You know, have you noticed the symbol in the medical field? I think it's a rod with a snake wrapped around it. (laughs) That doesn't have its roots in something good. As a matter of fact, uh, that the temple of, of healing here was a temple full of non-poisonous snakes. And if you wanted to be healed, you would go and lay down in the temple and let those snakes crawl all over you. Maybe even spend the night there. I believe that's probably the root of that symbol we have in the medical world. I've always wondered why that uh, medicine is represented by a snake. But you know, this city was full of idolatry and immorality. Once a year, you had to make a sacrifice to the emperor. I believe this was perhaps, if I remember correctly, the first city that began worshiping an emperor who was still living. And if you, didn't, if you didn't make a sacrifice to that emperor once a year, I believe it was a specified day, everyone did it on the same day, once a year, if you didn't, you were killed. This was not a very good environment for Christians. Christianity was something that had to be kept under the radar because there were temples everywhere, there were false gods, there was this worship Uh, of the uh, emperor. It was a place where they were highly educated and they were very satisfied. Sound like a college campus? You say, well, they don't have temples of false gods there. But think how unwelcome 
Christian religion is at most college campuses. You see, they may have been much further down the road, but our culture's going in the same direction. Idol worship, pagan worship, always involves various forms of perversion and sexual immorality. That's a part of practically all of them. So think about the, the, the culture that this church was located in. Now let's go back and look at what Jesus says to them. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now, I don't know if I'd want to I don't know if I'd want that to be the first thing Jesus said to me in a letter. This is one that has the sharp sword with two edges. And we'll see later on, down in, in verse 16, when he calls upon them to repent, he says, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them. Again, notice here, there's the you in the church that are commended, and there's the them that are living immoral and ungodly. He says, I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You know, in the book of Hebrews, about chapter 10, it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then it says, The Lord shall judge His people. You know, we may sometimes think, well, that's just talking about those that, that aren't saved. But notice that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Now, I understand the Bible teaches the Lord will ultimately judge the wicked. We understand that. We believe that. We believe there's a resurrection of the just and the unjust. And the Lord will ultimately and eternally judge the wicked. But this is talking about His people. You know, I believe if we're not careful, we may think, well, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. Salvation's by grace. Everything's good. Everything's all right. No, this is talking solely about His people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and, and they shall never perish. And another thing he says, there's no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now there's a sense in which it's comforting to be in the Father's hand. Jesus is teaching in John chapter 10 the eternal security of His people. No man can pluck them out of the Father's hand. But we got a different situation here. 
we got a situation here where the hand of God is not, uh, uh, this is not a picture that comforts us that I'm secure in the hand of God. But here he says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And see, that's what this church, at least some of them, were facing. So I believe that's the idea we need to have in mind when Jesus talks about that he's the one that has the sharp sword with two edges. And then he says, verse 13, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Now, as we go through this verse, here the Lord is commending the faithful in the church. And you'll see that as we complete the verse. But so far, notice what he says. He says, I know your works, I know where you dwell, and I know where Satan's seat is. I understand the situation. I understand you're in an environment where it is very dangerous to be a Christian in terms of your physical life. I know where Satan's seed is. Now, I, I believe that's not referring to something within the church. I believe that's referring uh, to these pagan temples. Certainly in one sense, you could say all of them were the seed of Satan because they were all anti-Christ. They were all the seed of Satan. I'm not, I'm not sure what the specific application is, but the Lord is telling them, I know your situation. I know where you dwell, and I know where Satan's seed is. I know where the antichrist is. I know where the one is that opposes you in every way. Now again, I want us to try to make this relevant to our life today because we're prone to think, well, this doesn't describe us at all. And I realize that we don't have physical temples unto pagan gods erected all around the church. But we certainly have that influence out there in the world, don't we? the perverted, immoral activity that was openly practiced in these pagan temples is certainly something that is waxing worse and worse in our culture today as more and more becomes accepted. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name. Now, we probably don't appreciate that in the way that it was appreciated for them. If you held fast the Lord's name and, the, and, the, and certain people heard about that, you would probably be executed, as it will describe a certain man named Antipas here as we continue. But he says, I know you hold fast my name. You identify as a Christian. 
You're not, you're not mixing in with the world. You're not a, you're not a member of a church where the, the, the idea among all the membership is one of compromise. Yes, there are, there are some in the church that he refers to as them that are, have been very corrupted by the world, but he's now talking to those that are faithful in the church. I can't control other people in the church. Now, indeed, it should be confronted by the church and addressed by the church. And if need be, we must withdraw from those that are, are as leaven in the church because the nature of leaven, which, is, which is, represents moral sin, among other things, the nature of leaven is to spread and influence. But he's saying to the faithful, you've held fast my name. You identify as a Christian. You say, I believe Jesus is my Savior. You don't try to uh, just blend him in with all the other gods. You're a separate people. You're a different religion. And he also says, uh, you've not denied my faith. Now, the faith there in the consideration is the faith Jude talked about. Uh, when, he, when he talks about the faith once delivered to the saints. When Jesus says, you've held on to my faith, he's not speaking of the faith we think about when we're talking about living uh, faithful in your obedience to God. No, the idea here is, is the faith once delivered to the saints, the faith of Jesus Christ, the truth, the doctrines of the salvation we have in Christ. He says, you've held fast to that. And shouldn't that encourage us? If the Lord recognized and commended them for being faithful, then we ought to be faithful. Notice how, how much this should be appreciated by those of us that have never experienced what they experienced. He said, even in though you were faithful, you didn't deny my name, you held fast to my faith, you held on to the truth, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, I've read from more than one historical source that the way Antipas was killed is he was placed inside of a brass bull, a hollow brass bull, and a fire was built beneath it. He slowly cooked and roasted to death. I don't know if I'd... Hold to the name of the Lord. I'm just going to be honest. If I was faced with something like that, would I remain faithful or would I deny the Lord? I remember one time somebody posted on Facebook. They said, uh, would you be faithful to the Lord even in persecution? And I tell you, everybody on there said, yes, yes, yes. You know what I put? I said, I'm afraid I'd be like Peter. And say, I never knew the man. 
I don't understand this idea of people being so confident they're going to be faithful. I'm afraid I wouldn't be. If a man like Peter wasn't, then who am I to say there's no way I would deny the Lord? Imagine dying in a fire where you slowly burn to death. But he said you are faithful even in that time. Some have said that Antipas may, have, Antipas may have been their pastor. I don't know. But he was certainly a dedicated member, if nothing else. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.